0: okay so if you have young children um how many of you have young children like under the age of six cool okay so we're i think there's a little bit more of the young kids in here so um we have young children and we have a puppy and so just like us you're likely up all throughout the night multiple times a night either with the puppy or with the kids so people who say that like with your first kid like you'll never sleep again they didn't have multiple kids because i'm still not sleeping through the night so um i'm up and down throughout the night all the time more often than not, so the first thing I naturally do whenever someone or something wakes me up, I naturally go like this to like, "What time is it?" Oh my gosh, it's 2 am. That's just my natural that's so that right there. that's my habit. So that's something that's so little and it seems invisible, but there it is. I've looked at my phone. now I've woken up my phone. And now it's going to alert me of all the things it wants to talk to me about, but it's 2 a.m. And I know that if I start, oh, I got that that notification, and that, oh, no, I need to send that. And your mind just starts wandering at that point. Um, It's drawing me into a world that kept happening after I fell asleep. So most days we are awakened to busyness and fears that pull us into the world with just one reach of your phone. So I want to encourage you guys to wake up to a new reality. Um, so I'm not going to tell you that you need to practice waking up at 5 a.m., <laughs> so don't worry. Well, that is my personal habit, that's just, this is something that I've been practicing. I get up at 5 a.m., this is something that you in whatever season of your life is in, because, again, my season has changed over the last six years drastically, like, every season's different. This is just what I'm in right now, but I have to wake myself up in a different way than I have been if I want to see different results, um, so I'm not telling you you have to wake up at 5 a.m., but, um... I am saying that if you will consider this whenever you're waking up, you want to spiritually wake up not just physically wake up and so that's one of the first main habits is spiritually waking up so whenever you wake up to the news and newsreels you're gonna be waking up to fear whenever you wake up to your emails you're waking up to performance when you wake up to social media you're waking up to comparison and um, and most of us these waking habits are small and they're unconscious so let's wake up to alternative realities so instead of waking up to all of those things we want to wake up to God's love which brings us closer to him so um, early in his book says we must see that the first role of the parent is not to get everyone up on time oh my gosh I'm such a slave to that but to root our household habits of waking in the truth of the gospel for the story of God for in the story of God our call is not to simply wake up our bodies each day but to awaken our hearts to God's love so here are the three waking habits that early suggests early suggests Um, A short kneeling prayer at your bedside upon waking. Kneeling prayer. Um, Look to the scriptures before looking to your smartphone. And a short moment of gathering and sending the family. So your three, uh, the first one is praying. Praying second one is scriptures, and third one is gathering. So our family personally has only put two of these into practice um, since reading this book, so I'm just going to share briefly on how those, um, how those things have brought fruit to our family. So not looking at your phone the first thing in the morning is really hard. Okay, and I'm gonna be like, I, I, all of us, like, we don't even really have to talk about that. Um, many of us use it as an alarm. Maybe it's your only clock in your room. So, one of the best ways that I practice it, just um, really easy, is just turning off notifications. So, if I have to look at my phone for whatever reason, um, I don't have notifications. Like, right now it's on do not disturb. So, that's easy enough. And if you don't know how to do it, ask me afterwards, but super easy. I also don't have any notifications on my phone that come to me through, I'm, almost off social media, but I don't have any of that that just, like, pops up randomly. I have to actually go to the app and open it in order for it to do that, and that's just a good... Practice in general, but to help you in the middle of the night, if you reach for your phone, you're not like looking and scrolling through notifications. Um, You can set all kinds of limits, so again, ask us that. And another way I practice that when I wake up in the night is I have, in order to put my children back to bed, I have to walk past my stove. So I have just made it again, it's an effort, I've made it a practice. I will not reach for my phone if I want to know what time it is. I'm gonna have to get out of my bed, I'm gonna have to walk to my kitchen, and I'm gonna have to look at my stove. So that's just another practical thing that I do Um, it's a conscious effort and it's a hard habit to break but um, uh, but you can do it I believe y'all can do it so the other thing I do instead of actually kneeling at my bed to pray for me that um, it just wasn't it didn't fit my personality to do that instead I've just chosen to wake up again I wake up about five every morning and I make it a point before I I, um, I put my phone to bed every night and that sounds really weird but I put it to bed and I decide when it wakes up I don't let it wake me up so I don't even look at my phone until after I've had about 30 to 45 minutes in prayer or in the word and um, I can tell you that there is it took time and it took effort and it was hard and your flesh like wants to like but all the things are happening what if someone texts me at six in the morning what do you know it's like your mind starts wondering so another really practical thing is if you're having a hard time being distracted while you're trying to pray and while you're reading the word is to just have a notepad and if something comes to your mind write it down and move on. And then you keep going. And then if something comes, write it down and move on. So then your mind isn't just holding, like, all of your to-do lists. And then you're like, because then you get distracted, like, well, what if I forget all my to-do list? Well, no, you just quickly write it down and move on. Um, and that, to me, has been just a game changer with my time in the scriptures in the morning. And now, more often than not, like, I don't have a whole lot that I have to actually write down because I've been in the practice and in the habit of it and this liturgy of I'm going to make a repertoire, I'm going to do a practice to be with the Lord every morning, and I've committed to it, and that when I'm waking up spiritually to him instead of waking up to what the world wants me to wake up to. Do you have anything you want to add? I do.
1: do. Okay. Um, One thing that uh, for those of you that might sleep all night, like me, I like don't wake up with kids. I don't know how it happened, but I really never (laughs) woke up with kids. Anyways, I I make kids sleep, and I like to sleep, and not everybody gets kids that sleep, but our kids are good sleepers most of the time. So I go to bed, and I sleep all night, and I wake up in the morning, and um, studies have shown, and I feel like I've found this to be true, is that when you wake up, you usually wake up thinking about what you went to bed thinking about. So if you don't want to wake up with your phone on your mind, I think one really good thing is to not go to sleep with your phone in your hand or like Becky said, next to next to your bed. And I do use my phone as al- an alarm. Um, I actually think we should stop doing that, but I do use my phone. But it's like no big deal for me to just turn the alarm off and then get up. Like it doesn't, My phone, honestly, if I could chuck it in a lake and never see it again, I would love to do that. It's just not a temptation for me, but what I do before I go to bed is I think through like gratitude. And I got this from one of Matt's bosses taught this years ago. But before I go to sleep, I shut my eyes and I, I actually anchor it in meals, not necessarily because of the food, although I love food. But it helps me process through the day like, OK, I had breakfast. Oh, yeah, this is what I had for breakfast. I'm thankful that this happened in the morning. And then, oh, yeah, lunch today, this happened. I had this meeting or I had this interaction with a student. Thank you, Lord, for that interaction. Like I think through my day kind of just anchoring it in meals, and then I just, like, choose to thank the Lord for things, or if anything rough happened, like, I process it. I just kind of give it over to the Lord um, as I'm going to sleep at night, and I think that helps me when I, because I went to sleep, like, in communion with the Lord, I sort of wake up in communion with the Lord, you know? Um, And then the other thing I was going to say is, I don't know where I heard or read this, but that the ancient Jews believed that every night when they would go to sleep the Lord would actually take their like soul and then in the morning he would give it back to them. So it was like like when David says, like, revive my soul, it's like in the morning he would wake up and receive his soul back from the Lord, and so I kind of think as I'm processing at night, like, choosing gratefulness and thinking through my day and giving things over to the Lord, and lots of times I fall asleep in between breakfast and lunch. Like, I don't always make it all the way through the day, but I try to set my heart and my mind and my spirit on that at night, and then I think, like, okay, Lord, I made it through the day. I'm giving you my spirit for the night. I'll see you in the morning, and then in the morning, it's like, oh, Lord, thank you for my spirit back and this day, and I just kind of wake up to that, and so, I don't know, that helps me. Yeah.
0: Do you All, right. All right, so she kind of transitioned to bedtime, so I'm going to briefly talk about bedtime, um, and uh, uh, with one thing, in the morning, if your time with the Lord, and whenever it is, again, mine's in the morning, whenever you decide to do that, one small thing as far as parenting is, always invite your children into it. Don't ever push them away and say, hey, I'm having quiet time right now. Can you just give me, like, five more minutes? Like, if, like, my children wake up, so early, and that's why I have to get up at five. Like I wouldn't choose that, but my kids wake up at like six a.m., so I have to have that time. But if they wake up so early, I always make it a point to either let them sit near me, sit on my lap, and I'll read out loud whatever I'm reading, or I'll just continue to pray whatever I'm praying, or if I'm worshiping, I invite them to dance with me, to worship with me, I, um, because they have to see you doing those things, or else again, that's part of that discipleship. Like I can't teach my kids to worship if I'm not worshiping myself. I can't teach my kids to not be on their phone if I'm on my phone all the time. So. These are things, these habits, Don't please don't ever push your children away. The Lord said, let the children come to me. So show them what that means, be the example. So on to bedtime. Um, so our bedtime routine is, just think this really quick. Bedtime song, prayer, and we say a liturgy. Um, sounds really easy and it sounds really simple, um, but I don't know if you've ever had a child that um, only wants to drink water at night and not go to sleep, and you just say a really quick, like, love you, Lord, good night, bye, whatever, and it's just a really quick prayer, so I have, I got in such a habit of that, just like, go to sleep, good night, thank you, Lord, for this kid, good, night, whatever, and so I have had to slow down, because um, one thing, this is in your notes, one thing that early says is bedtime is a moment this is really good, you guys. Okay, bedtime is a moment for a parent and child to acknowledge that at the end of the day, God loves us. No matter our failures, we can rest in grace. Bedtime liturgies use habitual prayers to find words that incorporate the truth of the gospel into moments of our day, especially when we are tired and when we need them. So I would encourage you to find to, to create a liturgy um, or you can, um, another thing that I think New Song calls them, um, oh, what did they call them? De- declarations, like child, like just like declarations you speak over your kids. We had a really long one when our kids were young, and I just got myself in the ha- It was just basically just verses that we just memorized, and we just like prayed over them. I, we did that, but it just kind of turned into this like, okay, we said the whole thing, now we're done. Um, and so we decided to change it, and it's actually, um, I'll just, I'm going to say, it's really short and sweet, but my kids haven't memorized, and they know that that's, like, that means, like, mom's walking out of the door now. And I don't have to just say this abstract prayer, and they're like, oh, I bet she'll come back. Like, no, like, this is, they, it's the same prayer. It's the liturgy we say every night, and it speaks the truth, and it speaks value, and the things that our family want to pass on to our kids. So we always, every night we say, God is for you. Jesus died for you. The Holy Spirit empowers you. Mom and dad love you, and your siblings care about you. So those five things. So we spoke truth over all the areas of our life that are significant to them. So I would encourage you to just, um, the book will give you some ideas of liturgies. You can speak over your children at night. Pray over your kids. Let them hear you pray. Because if you want them to pray, they have to hear you pray. Because if you, it's, it's, you have to do it. Um, I think that is all of it. Um, you can have your child repeat after you. So sometimes I have, um, my kids will say, like, God is for me. God is for me. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. So sometimes we repeat it. Sometimes we don't. Um, uh, so this gesture realigns their minds and their heart to the truth before they go to sleep. So they wake up in s- spiritually and they go to bed that way. Th- uh, we woke up in His reality, and we send our kids to bed in that same reality.
2: I don't want to let the best things we've done the last what 12 to 18 months with our kids. Um, I recognized that I was having a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress at night when I went to bed, and so much was coming from the last thing I was doing was watching screens on social media, working, right? But is that the best time for me to do it? No. And so not only did I need to start letting prayer be the last thing I did, but it's the last thing we do as a family now. Like our kids know for 75% of them, 9 o'clock is their bedtime. And at 8.55, we are in somebody's room, and we are praying, and it's really become a liturgy for our family because – Um, as they've added requests to pray for, they keep me very accountable Um, because we'll stop praying, and EJ, she's the one, she's eight, and she's like, Dad, you forgot to say. Or if I don't say the exact same words I've said every night for the last 12 months, um, she reminds me, Dad, you didn't say it the right way. You need to pray again. And so it's been great because even um, we found what our kids are struggling with and what they've asked us to pray for, and what I found is I really want to (laughs) discredit what I feel is, like, silly, my kids share so one of our boys sherry's like dad i really need the holy spirit to help me my thoughts are tough at night um in this i don't even know a cd he listens to or something online and he's like just like spirit man and dove boy do in whatever show it is so like (laughs) part of our prayer is asking the holy spirit to help our minds and guard our thoughts to go to sleep just like spirit man and dove boy (laughs) do in the show um and i chuckle inwardly now not outwardly anymore i worked on that but it's it was important to him And just like we say every week at church, if it's important to us, it's important to God. I think the same thing with these habits in our families. If it's important to our kids, it's got to be important to us. Because if we discredit what they feel and what they think is important, um, it's going to really just, it's not going to, they're not going to be as willing or like desiring to share their thoughts with us as we go through.
1: That's good. Um, One thing I, I, and actually the first time I heard, if it's important to us, it's important to God, I was like, Eh, is that really true? I think God sometimes like get over it, you know? Um, and so I I tend to be a not emotional person. <laughs> um, and sometimes when my kids come to me, especially when they were young, I would be like, okay, fine. You're like, sorry, you don't like you, d- something hurts or you don't feel good. Like get tough. Like you're fine. Like we're moving on. And I think, and that the Lord has dealt with me in this area. It's not, and sometimes the Lord, it does say to us, I feel like, yeah, you need to get tough and you need to walk through this, but I'm with you in this. So it's not so much that like, oh, this, this is hurting you. Oh, I'm going to fix every problem. Like that's not God's attitude towards us. And that's not my attitude towards my kids. But I can say to them, oh, I'm really sorry that you're feeling that way, and I am here with you, and we can walk through it together, you know? And so there's a difference to me in, in that attitude that I have towards my kids, and there are still days where I'm like, okay, I don't have time for that. Like, you just need to figure that out. Um, but I'm working on asking the Holy Spirit to help me, you know, because we all want our teenagers to talk to us, and so now we have them. But if when they're eight, we just completely tune them out, they're not going to come talk to us when they're 13, you know? And so there has to be that point where we say, even if I don't care about this and I don't want to hear about it and I don't feel like I have time for it, and maybe I don't think it's important or a big deal, we still can pause and say, I understand that you're you know, you're know, struggling with this, and you know what, this might be something you're just going to need to work through, but I'm here with you and I'll walk through this with you. Um, so that's something that I'm working on and I'm not perfect at it, but I'm trying to let the Holy Spirit form that in me. So we're going to move on to screen time. Um, I grew up without a TV in our house for most of my years of growing up. My, we used to watch, we had a little tiny TV and we watched a lot of sports. My brother was swinging a baton like a baseball bat and the end of it flew off the baton and shattered the TV and my parents were like, great, we're not buying a new one. So after that, <laughs> like for years and years and most of my growing up years, we did not have a TV. And my parents just were kind of like, we lived in Minnesota. They told us to go outside, like middle of the winter, put on some snowshoes, like get outside. And so that's the way I grew up. And again, if I could check my phone in a lake and live somewhere without any technology and have to like, fend for myself I would do it in a heartbeat Um, but I do realize that that's not the world we live in and I loved this section of this book like I just thought it was so on point uh, there are so many things I loved about it Um, but he starts out with two well I'll read that I'll read you one quote we either form our screen habits or our screen habits will form us there is no alternative who forms who the fight is worth it I get that screens are easy I get that screens give parents a break. I totally get that. Um, He says that the first thing you need to do is decide on your limits and then make good choices within those limits. And so I just think that's so much wisdom. It's not that screens are bad, which is kind of what I grew up in. Um, And again, we live in an age where I don't think it's really possible to just completely remove yourself from screens. I have cousins that actually live that way and it's pretty amazing. Their kids are geniuses. Um, but it's it's hard to completely remove yourself. And I think there is value in screens, but I think um, they're powerful, you know? And so we just need to recognize that they're powerful, and we need to talk about what are healthy limits, and then within those limits, what do we want to fill those screen time limits with? Um, and so... Um, he talks about, early talks about, um, as parents, part of our job is to protect our kids from infinite desire. We all h- know we want too much of a good thing. <laughs> like, that's, it, it may or may not be screens for you, but whether it's chocolate or alcohol or, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, we all have that tendency as humans to want too much of, of a good thing. And screens really are addictive, you know? They, they just are. Um, and it's work to fight against it, and again, it's countercultural for sure. So he talks about um, being a curator. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about what curation is. Think um, a museum curator. They're selecting, they're organizing, and they're looking after the exhibits, right? They're, They're choosing them carefully, they're putting them out carefully, and they're looking after them. And so that's what we need to be for our kids, is to be a curator for the screen time. Um, One thing that uh, Early talks about is set expected rhythms, and I love this. And this is something we've pretty much always done. Our limits have shifted as our kids have grown up, but um, they know, for instance, that they get 30 minutes of screen time a day. And actually, of uh, recently, yeah, I did. <laughs> After I read this book, I <laughs> edited that. But for pretty much their whole lives, they've gotten 30 minutes of screen time a day. So once they've had their 30 minutes, like, they don't really even bother asking anymore. And uh, f- they're kids. I mean, they're going to still try to worm it in somehow. But really, they know, um, can I watch this? And it's like, well, have you had your 30 minutes? And then they, they just know, okay, yeah, I don't need to ask again, you know? They know the answer to that, to that question. So it cuts down on your mental energy. If, it, if screens are like a free-for-all and there's no rhythm to it, um, then it's really hard to always be thinking like, wait, do I say yes or do I say no? And it's going to become an emotional decision based on how tired you are. It's not going to be a decision based on what's best for this kid in this moment. It's just going to be based on your emotions without the rhythms. Um, so that's something for us that has been super super helpful and again it's been pretty consistent um, as our kids grow up and I've seen the fruit of that like our kids they don't n- they don't need screens like they they do Crazy stuff. Our our daughter listened to like every Jane Austen book by the time she was ten, and she would sit and she would just listen to these classics and paint, or sit and listen to the classics and color, or sit and listen to the classics and sew. Um, and and it was because we just turned the screens off. So she figured it out. Our boys build Legos like all day, every day, and they listen. They listen to a lot of audiobooks, which by the way are at the library. My kids score off the charts on all of their standardized test scores and people are like their vocabulary is amazing and I'm like well it's really not my vocabulary it's all this stuff that they listen to all day every day yeah so it's just amazing what kids come up with when you turn the tv off you know our uh, nine-year-old this summer um again they still had their 30 minutes of screen time but they had a lot more downtime because it was summer and so he has a metal detector which he got for christmas he went around the entire neighborhood which still has some construction came up came home with piles of scrap wood and (coughs) I don't even know, screws and nails, all all kinds of stuff. And he started creating art. So he made like crosses and people and all kinds of stuff out of this scrap junk. And he's now selling it. I think he's made like $27 (laughs) from selling his whatever stuff. But it's not about, it's not about what, like that your kid's going to become some genius prodigy guitar player. It's just about what their brains are going to come up with doing when you turn off the screen. And I'm not going to say that there are not moments of boredom and moments where they're like, Mom, we don't know what to do, and can't we just have some more screen time? But it takes guts, and it takes something in a parent to say, we're going to just lean into this, and you're going to figure it out. So every school break, we get out the whiteboard. We say, okay, what are some things you want to do with your time? And every time that they come to me and say, can I have more screen time? I just, I don't. I don't do a lot of lecturing. I don't do a lot of like s- talking to kids because I don't really think it <laughs> benefits a lot. I don't actually believe in it. I just point at the whiteboard, like, <laughs> figure it out. Here are your options. We brainstormed this a week ago. So now you're bored. Go to the whiteboard. Um, yes. Love it.
2: And I think it's also really good for us as parents to be transparent when we need to redefine the limits with the screens. Um, we have this conversation recently because we have two girls one's 14 and one's eight and our eight-year-old's attitude right now is a lot different than her older sister's attitude was when she was eight years old um and we we're like we're not gonna be the parents that treat our kids differently like it's always the same standard and while the screen time limits didn't change what we allowed them to watch changed and we just realized we once we got disney plus that was just an option for our eight-year-old to watch um and one thing i loved in this book as i was listening to it was um Always like dissecting media or taking in media with your kids, at least the first time. Um, and so she was watching shows weren't terrible shows, but the. Th- it junk. Yeah, it was junk. <laughs> where our older daughter grew up watching things like Wildcrats and, well, not Baby Einstein's when she was eight, but like, <laughs> sho- again, the, in the Odd Squad, in the book, he talks about media that expands our minds and educates us and not just stimulates us. So our younger daughter was just stimulating herself, and we had to redefine what was acceptable to watch. Um, Another great thing in the book is he talks about developing a canon of what's okay to watch. And I was thinking about, like, we've verbally done that, but we haven't actually sat down and made that list. Mm -hmm. Where now they're always coming, can I watch this, can I watch that, can I watch this? Well. What does the canon say? You know, what does our list of things say and what's acceptable um, and what's edifying for us to watch? And I thought that was great. Just We had to be transparent with our eight. We like, look, our fault, not yours. <laughs> like your attitude right now is our fault, not your fault. We let you watch things and take things in that we should have had better guardrails for you. But now we're gonna redefine those guardrails. Um, and I just think us as parents taking that responsibility because it's not, it isn't it isn't her fault, it's ours. Um, helped her redefine others. No, it wasn't easy in those first couple of days. She was really struggling with trying to find something to watch, um, but she's made an adjustment. and life is better.
1: Yep. He mentions it several times throughout the book that it's like don't ever underestimate the power of an announcement. Like make an announcement, like gather everybody, tell them what we're doing now and the why behind it. But then the, the the work comes after the announcement, then you have to stick to it. Otherwise the power of the announcement goes down the drain. The next time you pull your kids in and you're like, hey, family announcement, we're making this change. They'll be like, yeah, yeah, you said this last time and it didn't actually change anything. You know, when you pull your kids and make an announcement, you have got to be serious about it and you have got to stick to it. Um, I. Used Babywise, and I know there's like lots of different (laughs) like feelings on that, and it's not it doesn't matter um, how like how what you do with your kids as babies. But I think there's something to like one concept in Babywise is that you get your kids on a schedule and in a rhythm. And yes, you can make an exception, but if you're constantly making exceptions, they're not exceptions anymore. There, it's just you actually don't have a rhythm and a routine. And I think you have to walk that line. like with screen time, like, okay, so yes, are we going to make an exception every once in a while? And like, oh, you know what, you're sick. Like one of our kids was sick on Sunday. Yeah, you are you can have an hour of screen time. You're in bed all day, you know? So are we going to make those exceptions? Yes. But if it's an exception every day for a different reason, then the routine's just out the window. So I think if you're going to make those announcements, then you, you do need to stick to it, you know, a good chunk of the time.
0: Um, Our canon is a canon of movies that we don't watch. So I don't know if that's right or wrong. He suggests one the movies you can watch, but our family specifically has one that we even let like if a new babysitter comes, because our kids will definitely be like, well, well, we can watch this. And like guys, like they just try to get away with it. So we like have it so we can tell babysitters like if they say they can watch this, they actually can't. Um, And then we also tell our kids even at three and four why, and it can be so simple. Like the most uh, honest answer is like that movie does not honor God. And they're like, okay, because they've heard us say that, and that itself is a liturgy, because they've heard me say the same thing over and over again, and while their little spirit may not fully understands what that means, I've given them the answer, and I haven't just said because. Um, Or now that I have a six-year-old, I can say, that movie has a lot of witchcraft, and we're just not gonna, we don't practice that. And so I can get a little bit deeper as they get a little bit older, and it's just, for me, it is so important to tell your children why, but at their age level.
1: Um, So once he talks about setting limits, then he talks about um, making good choices. And so I'll just give you a couple of the highlights, and then Matt's already mentioned a couple of them. But good over new, it's real easy to always feel like you have to watch the newest thing that everybody's talking about, and that's just not reality. Some of the best things that we watch as a family are old, and I love old things anyways, if you can't haven't figured that out yet Um, like Matt said media that expands or educates I think is so great and then making a watch list like not being afraid to watch the same things over and over again we all know how quickly kids memorize kids memorize quickly so if you're gonna have them memorizing something like pick great media for them to memorize because they're gonna memorize what you let them watch so (laughs) it might as well be something really quality Um, and you're gonna pick up on more things and go deeper the more you watch it so basically I think if it's worth watching, it's worth memorizing, and if it's worth memorizing, it's worth watching. If you're like, oh, I mean, maybe you watch something once, and then you realize this isn't something that needs to go in our canon, because it wasn't that great, but if it is that great, great. Watch it over and over again, and really dig into it. If it's not that great, why are you wasting your time anyway, you know, Um, and then this is one thing he hit that I love, and I'll close with this, and anybody, yeah, do you want to yeah, watch communally and process communally. And I'm going to read two quotes. The world is not safe. It's certainly not appropriate. An essential skill of growing up is knowing how to react to explicit language, violence, sex, or dangerous ideas. It's far more wholesome to know what to do with these things rather than imagine that we can somehow avoid them entirely. And like Becky said, age appropriate for sure. Like Becky's not going to show her kids (laughs) things that I would be comfortable showing our kids, but I just, I, we want them to interact with it with us. We want them to process things with us. We don't want them by themselves in their room with the door shut, seeing whatever. We want to process it with them because we know they're gonna face it. Um, another thing he mentioned is the right, around of the right amount of screen time is almost certainly something less than you are comfortable with, which I like that. Don't be afraid to get uncomfortable. Um, and be confident of your own choices, but gracious in judging other parents' choices. And I just love that because we're all in different stages of walking this, you know, all of these out. And so I love that. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, three quick things, I think, with different ages as I was listening to this book. The first thing I think with our older kids, because we've got, what, 14, 12, 9, and 8. Our 14-year-old for sure, she has a say in the process. Um, even right now as we're trying to redefine what screen time is in the car and last night, Emily And myself and Olivia were all driving, and so now, what is it? I drive said, time is drive not. Drive time is not screen time. Drive time is talk time. Yeah, drive time is not screen time. Drive time is talk time. And we were driving, and Olivia says from the back seat, "Hey, mom, I thought drive time was talk time, not screen time, because Emily was on her phone." Um, and she said it, you know, right attitude, right place. It was not disrespectful, but she can hold us accountable just as much as we can hold her accountable. Um, and so Emily's like, "Yep, you're right." And so he goes. I'll just, you know, do you want me to get my phone out, or are you gonna put your phone away, <laughs> right? Like yeah. giving her mom choices right now <laughs> in the moment. Like, She's come happy on, to get her phone out. Right. Yeah. Um, but it was okay because Emma was like, "No, it. You're right. New standard. I blew it. Let's all put our phones away." And um, so now we got talking about, okay, well, what does this mean? Is there if there's three minutes of silence? Are there, you know, is that okay to bring your screen out, or what? is screen taking notes if you think of a to-do list item, or is that just texting and being on social media? And so it's this whole conversation now, and Olivia has a say in the process. Um, the second thing I'll say is as they get older, as so we're dealing with our 12-year-old son right now, is give them the freedom to make great choices or to have to adjust their decision-making. Um, one of his frustrations right now is he's not able to be his own person, because um, mom and dad still dictate a lot. And he was sick Sunday, and he was sick again on Monday, so he was home with me while Emily and the rest of the kids were gone and he came and said dad mom said you're in charge of my screen time today since i'm sick how much can i watch i said i don't know you decide i was like just keep track of it more or less and on tuesday so we have to have the conversation tonight when we get home um let's debrief what you watched and let's see what you what you and i think about it was it too much was it not enough because um, one day of too much screen time is not going to ruin his life <laughs> but him having the freedom to make that own decision then me come back and saying okay What did you watch? How much did you watch? Was that okay? What should we do next time? Versus me dictating, you get an hour and 15 minutes, set the timer, and when the timer's up, turn it off. Now he has a role in the process, and it's okay to make mistakes. Like, I want him to make mistakes at home. I wasn't allowed to make mistakes at home, so when I left the house, I made a lot worse mistakes than I did when I was at my house. Um, And I want him to make as many mistakes as he possibly can while he's at home. Um, The third thing is when you're talking about making exceptions, I was thinking about last night. Right now, I travel every weekend for work. So, like, Friday afternoon through Sunday night or Monday morning, I'm gone. So, we've not had, you and I have not had time together by ourselves outside between, like, 9.15 when the kids go to bed, like, 9.45 when you fall asleep. Like, that's (laughs) been our only time together recently. So, last night, we went out for two and a half, three hours and just told the kids, hey, you know what, watch a movie. You know, like, it's okay, you can be home by yourself. It's going to be dark outside. You can't go outside and play with your friends. Just, it's okay, watch a movie. Mom and dad will be home whenever we get home. And so, that gave us the time because we realized, our time together was way more important last night in the moment mm-hmm. than our kids watching a couple extra hours of screen time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so having that, like Emily said, if you're always making exceptions, there there are, is no standard, there's no guardrails, but it's okay to show the kids, hey, make exceptions. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you eat great for seven days, have a cheat meal or whatever it is. Like we gave them that opportunity last night and it was great. And then we had great conversation, got home because, some things they're supposed to do didn't get done. It's like, okay, you've watched a movie for the last three hours, why did you not get these things done? Do we need to talk about you know, time processing and how we handle those things? But it's just led to such better conversations yeah. when we make exceptions and then debrief it afterwards with our, with our kids.
1: And one thing about Wesley, first of all, when that night, he was like, Mom, Dad said that I can make my own decisions about my screen time today. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, <laughs> let's see how that works out. Um, and also, one thing that we always ask our kids, like, with the screen time, I, again, I'm not, I am not—I try not to just lecture our kids, because I feel like that does not give, it doesn't just, there's no fruit to it. Um, so I ask questions, like, Wesley, you watched two hours straight of screen time. This wasn't this time. This was a while ago how do you feel you know and they know they know they feel gross like they know I watched two hours of what's that show The Thundermans like yeah you feel gross you watch two hours of kids being disrespectful to their parents and you know whatever Um, and so like but for them to internally be able to process and then verbalize that is worth way more than like Matt said just setting a limit and s- or just, like, saying, no, you can't watch that. Like, never letting them make mistakes and then figure it out and process. And we're always saying, choose what's good for you. Choose what's good for you. What do you think? Is this good for you? Choose what's good for you. Because kid, c- if kids can recognize and choose what's good for them, that's, like, half of life, you know? <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, do you have anything, Becky? We have about
0: 30 minutes before we do small group. Do you want um, to do, do, you do devotional or do you want to do, do both of them
1: still or just um, do one of the other? Let's do devotional okay all right we're gonna jump into habit three which is uh devotional and this was one of the shorter sections which actually i loved that it was one of the shorter sections and what he says over and over again is be short be simple be short be simple do something not nothing be short be simple do something and and it's not a long section and it's not hard to digest and i love that um so one thing he talks about is that great conversations come over third things meaning snacks, throwing a football, time in the car, interrogations happen at empty tables, you know with with nothing else happening and so always feel free to bring in snacks or whatever's gonna make the make a devotional like a joyful thing um and he says it doesn't have to be perfect bringing our mess to jesus is the beginning of faith jesus loves messy and broken people and processes and so it's okay if there's a kid fussing in the corner or kids are squabbling over a snack like that's okay jesus loves that Um, He just wants us to come to him, and that's what we want to model for our kids. Um, He talks a lot about how simple truths battle great lies, and memorizing and speaking simple truths to your kids over and over and over again, and again, it's another liturgy. It's just getting those simple truths in them, and like Becky said, my thing is education, and I just think in the little years, getting simple things into that long-term memory yields fruit that we still don't even know and understand and so it's so important it's so important um uh, he talks about catechisms and actually i have that new city one and i love it and i meant to bring it he mentions it in the book Hmm. (laughs) he mentions it in the book it's just a question and answer truth who made you god made you um it's just simple it's simple stuff it's simple truths and it's things that the church has been doing for so long and all of a sudden Western American Christians think we don't need it, and it's not true, we do need it. (laughs) We need it, simple truths battle great lies, Um, and it's so important. And so uh, another thing he talks about is short prayers, teaching kids to pray on the fly. And that is something that for us and our family, we're really good at it. I don't know how this actually happened, I'm pretty sure it happened because I was always yelling at my kids to get in the car, because we're always late, and we somehow got in the habit of getting in the car and debriefing, like okay, I'm sorry I yelled. Mom, I'm sorry I wasn't ready. Mom, I'm sorry. Like, we all basically apologized together, and then we would pray. And that that happened when they were preschoolers, and somehow it evolved into a liturgy for our family. We pray when we get in the car. Like, I get in the car, and we pray. It's just, it's what we do. I don't really know how it happened, um, again, except I think repentance on my own part mostly is the was the starter for that. Um, but it's become a liturgy, and and we love it. It doesn't have to be you know, on your knees in a row in a perfectly clean kitchen. It doesn't have to be that way. It can be on the fly, and God loves that. Um, And another thing he talks about is age and stage development. There's actually, in the book, it shows like a little graph, and one thing it talks about is family devotions are important that should lead to individual quiet time. So, and like Becky already mentioned, inviting our kids in. Um, I think that in some families that I've observed, it was like family devotions were every day and they were so, they were always like parent led. And it kind of gave the kids this feeling that they couldn't go to God on their own. And from the time our kids were really little, we have had family devotion and prayer, but we've also made sure that they were sitting with the Lord on their own. And I think that's so important um, to not give the kids this impression that we only can do this as a family or dad has to lead it. Um, that's just not true, you know, and so we always want to leave the door open for our kids to go to Jesus.
2: Uh, is that the catechism you're talking about?
1: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: you the no. Okay. So the catechism he was talking about in the book is they were asking, they would ask their the three-year-olds on the time, yeah. but just, it was mm-hmm. like a response. Mm-hmm. And they would say, who made you? And he would say, God made me. He would say, what else did God, what else did he make? And he'd say, he made everything. And the last one was, why did he make it? And the response was, for his glory. And just how that begins lots of great conversations. Um, If God made everything in the world for his glory, okay, so when bad things happen or things don't work out the way we think they do, how do we respond to that? And so just even though it's simple and and easy or even silly as it could sound, um, just how beneficial it is as our kids have grown up up to have conversations around that. say the best thing that we did, because the thing of the idea of just starting something versus having something perfect um, with our family devotional, I think the best thing that we've ever done is uh, once or twice a week right before our prayer, um, I would just read a psalm. Like basically the I was doing in the Bible app, the 300 reading the Bible in a year and whatever psalm was associated with that day. i would just read it with the whole family. And then we would just ask, what did you get out of it? and there's six of us, so we wouldn't all share, because we're not gonna be there for 45 minutes at bedtime. Um, but I would, I would either just, I would simply just call on somebody. Um, they wouldn't know, life's unpredictable, so you never know who dad's gonna call on, and just ask. And I think a great thing that we've done in that process is honoring anything they say. Like even if what they say is not close to what it means, or really, um, it's honoring. So the two things Emily and I talk about is honoring and redirecting. <laughs> and so if it's not what they needed, or if it's opposite, like redirecting. but hey, man i didn't get that out of, of that psalm that's interesting like why does it mean that to you or why do you think that now okay well let me share what you, i think it means to me or here's what other people have said about this verse and when what it means um but just again three it wasn't even the whole psalm. maybe three or four verses um and just being able to read and this actually changed the things that we pray for every night <laughs> um as it would come out of some of the psalms and the things because we'd realize hey maybe this one phrase or this one verse meant a lot to our entire family ooh, why did all six of us land on this? What's going on in our life? What are we dealing with? Um, what things are we struggling with or really excelling at? That this all meant the same thing to all of us. And it's just this unintentional consequence of great conversations that I don't think we would have otherwise. Um, and again, wasn't like I was like, ooh, what verse do my kids need tonight? It was literally just reading the word together and asking them what they got out of it.
0: Uh, one thing that our family does for devotion, we weekly, we have a Shabbat um, every weekend. I make, uh, for a year now, I make, fresh bread, and we kind of just took it from Jewish tradition. We don't do any it's our own messianic Woodall version of it, um, but it, what, it, what it came down to was we wanted to be able to make sure we had family time together every week where we were instilling the, the our family's values into our children. Again, liturgies. That's all that it is. Daniel and I sat down, and we said, what are the five important things that if we could teach our children, and this was the only thing we taught them, um, it, would be, it would be taste and see that the Lord is good, so that's where it starts. Um, um, they get to eat candy, and then we talk about what's one good thing the Lord's done. We then invite the Holy Spirit, and we talk about what fire represents. Then we all take turns laying on of hands. It was so important that our children understood the power of our hands and the power of our blessings, so we all lay hands on each other, and we take turns blessing one another. My three-year-old does it. It sounds like this. Hosea, amen. Yay, that was such a good blessing, and that's. but that's what it is. The next thing we do is we take communion. We drink um, juice and we have bread and we talk about what does the bread represent, what is the um, what does the wine represent, what does the juice represent. And my th- again, my three year old, they all it's we the same answer every time. The blood is Jesus' broken or the bread is Jesus' broken body. And it seems so simple and so elementary but it's the liturgy of it. It's the foundation of it. It's what a three and five and six year old can understand. So then as they grow and as our family form, as we get, go on, we can go deeper with it. So um, then the last thing we do is um, we sing songs and we talk of either repeat a Bible verse together or like, what, what are we memorizing? I do everything to song. So I taught my kids a rap. Um, and so we practice this rap of the, um, the gifts of the spirit and, um, and the, the armor of God, and so and it's fun, we do motions. So any way you can get your child involved that it's not just sitting around a table doing, you know, we sing, we slam the table and we sing Shabbat, Shalom, and we are crazy. But because it, it gets your kids involved and it gets them interested and you're instilling seeds, like she said, things that are gonna go so deep that in the moment it's chaos, my table is a mess. Sometimes my oldest kid doesn't even pray. He just says, I don't know how to pray. And I'm like, okay, who's next? I don't get on to him because he's being, you know, whatever, a six-year-old who doesn't want to participate, but we just move on. And we don't make a deal about it because we want it to be enjoyable. So I just would encourage you, sit down with your spouse or um, and, and just figure out, like, what are some core values that we want to instill? Those were our, our five. And then you over time, you can build upon that and be consistent. We do Shabbat every week, and when I've missed it twice – two times we've missed it this year, and they're like, why haven't we done Shabbat? And I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot. Like, I we got busy or whatever. So that's our week. That's our, we do it like once a week, a devotional. So that was really quick. We only have um, a little bit of time, and i want to talk, I just wanna touch on discipline before we um, meet in our small groups. So discipline, again, I have young children, they have older children, so I have gleaned a lot from Emily. She's suggested some things to me, but I, again, I really love what this book is, um, what this book does and a lot of things that he, she's even like taught me i was like oh i've already been doing that once i read this um he just puts it into different language so i'm not sure all the things you have on here but um Maybe i can okay so there are about eight or nine <laughs> um or s- seven different things that he suggests that you do when it comes to discipline um and will say, for me, for sure, and I know I'm not the only person I get, have gotten stuck in a rut, and I get tired, and I'm exhausted, and I don't want to do the real work of parenting. Just sitting out there in the lobby for 45 minutes with four children before this thing started, I was like, I don't want to be doing this. Um, You get in a rut, and so it's often harder, this is something that he says in this book, it is often harder to stop everything do the work of understanding the fullness of my child's humanity. Act and speak in an age relevant way to engage their heart and mind. Try to balance the delicate mix of a firm authority and gentle compassion that it takes to disciple your child towards love and reconciliation. We've already touched on it. You have to understand your child. If you don't take time to understand them, and if you just try to put your thumb of authority on them, I did that. We did that with my oldest because that's what was they told someone that we trusted told us to do, and it backfired. And so now we're having to turn around. And with the other three, we've been doing it differently. And there's um, we we cannot be the end all authority of thumb on our kids. We have to understand their feelings. And I'm going to share a really cool story that just happened with me as we walk through these steps. Um, It's much easier to manage behavior when it's convenient for you, but that doesn't always mean that there's going to be love and reconciliation in the end. Um, We don't want to lose the connection with your child, and that is like the biggest thing that if you don't take anything away when it comes to discipline, this is what you need to remember. Do not lose your connection with your child when you're disciplining you should not be so angry and so heated that you're gonna that you're gonna lose any bonding that you could have happened because every moment of discipline and I'm telling you every moment because Daniel and I have worked so hard on this every moment of discipline and we mess up but there is room there is a way to reconcile and there is a way to be connected to that child at the end of it so this is my scenario. My second son, he's four. He um, hits his sibling in anger, and then he starts th- um, being unsafe by throwing things in the room, and he just starts being destructive. Does anybody have that experience? Yes. Anybody else experienced that? Okay. Happens all the time in my house. So my natural reaction <laughs> is, stop! That's unkind. Apologize. You're being destructive. Ha, ah! you know, and you get mad, right? And you're just like, how? This morning my son threw his mattress off his bed, and I every i called her right after i was uh, but just in anger so your flesh just like riles up and you want to just but take that moment and the first thing to do is that we should have done before this moment so his first suggestion is before the bad thing happens is you have to establish loving authority. So if you don't have loving authority with your child, that's the first place to start. And um, our child needs a parent who's in charge and is going to yield authority, wield authority when something goes wrong. And this can be done with a strong tone or intervening with a strong presence of your body language. So your child first has to know that you love them. You have to know that you're that in, in good and bad, like when they're being really good, when they're being really bad, you're praising them, you're loving them, and then when they're bad, you're still stepping. like they, they there has to be that balance. Um, so when that situation happens, fr- the next thing you can do is you pause and don't react. The way your flesh wants to react immediately now it'd be one thing if my son's about to throw the mattress onto my 18 month old i have to step in and i have to react immediately but in this well okay i'm sorry i'm wrong situation so he threw a toy he's being destructive nobody's hurt so i'm angry so the first thing i do is i pause and i wait a moment and i want to see this is what this is where my mind goes i need to see how this is going to play out i need to see is he going to continue this behavior or did he just have to lash out and he's done and then i can start dealing with it um so when you pause for your moment pray shoot up a really short prayer god help <laughs> help me um find something find a liturgy that you want to say to yourself for me i always say how do i respond how do i respond how do I respond? I mean, I might say that out loud. I might say it in my head, but I'm I'm shooting up a prayer. How do I respond, Lord? Make it a good practice um, to give yourself 10 seconds, if it's safe, to before you make any um, before you try to intervene. Sometimes, sometimes brothers and brothers and sisters can resolve it. You know you don't have to intervene, but when you when you need to you do. Um, sometimes I've had to remove myself in this situation where, where Sam was was throwing things. I had I was so angry at the way it played played out. I had to actually remove myself from the room once I realized everything was safe, and I had to just cool off. I couldn't stay in there and try and cool myself off. Um, so if you need to do that, ask the Lord what should you do. Find a safe place. Um, may, sometimes just separating them. Um, I'll put my sons on their bed and um, give them that space where they can have a moment to just calm down themselves too. You don't want to walk up and just grab them right away and start, you know, that's it's just not effective. That's easy, but it's not effective. Um, sometimes this means literally leaving the room, pausing. Um, OK, so the next thing that he suggests is closer space. So I put my son on his bed and instead of yelling at him from the other room or yelling at him from the doorway in his bedroom while he's on his bed crying and screaming at me, I chose to get up on his bed bunk bed. I got up, I, was, I got uncomfortable and he's throwing himself on his bed and I just laid down. Now, again, I, you have to assess what's safe, right? You know, that they are not to throw themselves off the bed. A lot of times, my kids don't want me to touch them whenever they're angry. So I don't even try to rub their back. I don't try to do any of that until um, I just sit there in just my presence, just being close to them. Sometimes, you know, I, I try and maybe I'll say something, but more often than not, stop talking, mom. Don't pray, mom. Don't, don't you know, and they're just, you know, so I just sit there and I just wait until there's a calm moment. And then I'll ask, like, can I rub your back? And I'm telling you, if you just sit and you just wait long enough, they're gon- they want connection. They want connection. So I have paused. I've removed myself. I've removed them. And now I've gotten closer, and I've um, and so um, I got him his bed. Let's see, cool off. Um, now, okay, the next one is be relentless in seeking understanding. Um, Early says, Dis- Discipline without love is punishment for an act. But discipline as discipleship is training a child to become self reflective. So ask questions. So now I've ha- I have him calm down. He's letting me rub his back, maybe. Um, he's letting me at least sit there without yelling at me. And um, I can say, Ask questions, like she said, like don't lecture him, but just like, man, what happened? I, I saw you throw a toy, like what happened? What were you feeling? Are you angry? And like, depending on your age of your kid, you have to give them language to their feelings. You have to assess that and that's the Holy Spirit, like at what each age your child is. Um, my six-year-old, I don't really have to give him a lot of language, um, but my three-year-old says, it seems like you're really mad. Your heart is racing. Man, does that always happen when you're mad? Feel your heart and what you know you just want to talk to them you want to you want to be relentless and understanding what is it that made you mad did your sister do something you know just asking questions there's such value in that do you know why it's not a good thing to throw toys Um, how do you how do you think that made the other person feel and seek an explanation from them Uh, and these will come in feelings words and whether you agree with those feelings or not. And I'm not throwing my husband under the bus because he'd be the first one to say this, but I often have to be like, I know you disagree, but this is how Judah feels. Okay, regardless if they're right or wrong. Oh wow, I can totally see that you feel like mom should have more clothes for you because you don't like the clothes you have. Okay, I totally get it. You know, so like, just reason like you have to, because again, they've said, like, you have to feel, you have to talk to them, let them feel heard and seen, because if you don't now, they're not gonna do it whenever they're teenagers. So um, so in this situation, um, my son, I got him to talk to me, and I got him to tell me why. And what through asking questions, I got to the root of what the problem was. And it doesn't happen every, this does not happen every time, but this is just a beautiful example of finding out the root of our child's problem. My son goes, because I'm a bully. My four-year-old said that. And I knew immediately by the spirit, I said, that is the root that he's, that's the lie that he's believing because he's either heard it from whoever, you know, I've never called him a bully, but somebody in his life has called him a bully. So I was relentless in seeking to understand why did you behave that way in a caring and understanding way? And I got to the root of it. I said, I can't do anything right. I'm a bully. And I would have never learned this about him if I had just blown up and gotten angry and punished him and sent him him to his bed. Um, So this turned into a ministry moment where I was able to disciple my son through hard feelings, through big feelings in a little body. Um, and I, you know, he would have drowned deeper in these lies had I just left him there. And um, so what we did, this is this is really fun. What we did is I, this is all by the Holy Spirit, and this is all in like a five-minute period, right? This isn't drawn out. He said that, and I said, that sounds like a lie from the devil. And he goes, really? And I was like, "Do you know the devil's a liar? He goes, yeah. And I said, did you know the devil's only like this big? And he goes, what? And he got so interested. And like, we're just sitting up on his bed, right? And I ha- so I said, can you tell the devil something and just make him feel really small? And he goes, T- he goes devil, you're a liar. And I go, oh, the devil just got smaller. <laughs> and, he wa- and his eyes got huge. And I was like, tell him something else. And he goes, devil, you're stupid. And I got him smaller. So we got the devil down to about this big. Okay? And I said, oh, You know what? He's so small. I bet you could just step on him. And he goes, Yeah, I can't. And so I put him on his bed and he stood up on it and he just started slamming his foot on his bed. So we took this like heightened, angry moment. We got to the root of what it was. We we stayed close. I I sought to understand his feelings. I was relentless to it, and um, I was able to then take it to a spiritual to disciple him to tell him the truth that it's a lie, right? And at his age, that was age appropriate. And we had connection at the end. We ended in this moment of. My mom loves me, and my mom cares for me, and um, and it could have. You know, I, I know you all know this. It could end in a whole other way. But that moment, like we didn't even have to talk about the fact that he threw toys anymore then the, for this specific situation there wasn't any consequences we had gone through all these things now each time it's different and it's so the next thing is thinking carefully about consequences um, because it's crucial that our children learn that there are negative effects to sin and um, it's important that they have responsibility for their consequences uh, um, they, they have to be given responsibility for their actions and we want to always get to confession and reconciliation and not retribution that's really important. We want to get confession, reconciliation, and not retribution. So, consequences are only helpful as they move us closer to reconciliation. And more often than not, our consequences are um, in our family, is we, mom and dad, will do a chore along with them. We want to reconcile our relationship. Like if my son has, said the word stupid or they start saying words that we like they're calling each other names we've gone out and we've gone out with them and told me gotta go pick up dog poop but what's more bonding and reconciling than my, my my parents are just sending me out here to do something and it's really annoying but then or mom and dad go out with me and we do it together so f- that's that's our families like that's how we practice those things if I just tell my son today when he threw his mattress off his bed and he got mad at me and he started literally throwing Legos all over his room like it wasn't right he knew that it was wrong and I was stern and I was firm but I wasn't just gonna leave him to his own devices to clean it I was gonna sit there with him and I cleaned it with him and we talked and we reconciled and we had discussions as to why we don't do that instead of just leaving him to sit in his own mind and be bitter at mom for making me do this so again that's I don't know that's necessarily what he taught that's just a little something that our family does Um, going to timeout isn't effective just just letting you know timeout is not effective for young children because what they do is they learn they just sit there and that does not change behavior your goal is to change their heart you want to change their heart in the situation not just change their behavior Um, and we want it to anything any consequence that you give them you want it to be effective for their future and you can you always want bonding there have been times where um, Daniel, again, it's Daniel because it's, I'm not throwing him under the bus, I promise, but there are more often than not, I'm sure it happens with me too, where like the kids are still crying after a consequence. They're still upset. Um, Maybe they get spanked and they're just still like really mad at mom and dad, but we have to move on with our day, right? We have three other kids. We have other things we have to do, but there have been times where I'd be like, like Daniel, you need to go back in there and you have to reconcile. Early talks about never leaving your child crying. Don't finish a discipline and finish consequences with your child still crying and still upset with you. If it, you might have to give some space, which is great. Like, give space if you need to give it. Like, give them five minutes to cool off. But once that cool off time is down, go back and reconcile. He talks about make tickling his kids. That's one way that he reconciles. He has liturgies for those things. So that has been insanely fruitful in raising our four kids. And it's not easy it's very, very hard, but when you have the mindset of, I am, every time I'm going to discipline my child, and whatever it is, if it's through a spanking, if it's through making them do whatever activity, there has to be reconciliation. Okay, last thing, Um, insist on apologies and confession, so anytime I have my children apologize, they have, they can't just say, I'm sorry, That doesn't cut it for me. I'm sorry for hitting you. I'm sorry for calling you stupid. I'm sorry for doing this. They have to admit and confess to what they did. Um, And it's important that they do that to the person. It's also important that you just bring it back to Jesus. Like, okay, now, Jesus forgives you. But just just let him know you're sorry, and you want to change your ways. Um, Let me just make sure before I pass it on to you. Let me just see if there's anything else. Um, I think that's it for what I have. Do you want to talk about
2: I'll a couple things on the discipline. I think actually, this first thought would be for, as we've talked about, like anything in this book, anything that any of us have shared tonight, like you have, you have to make it your own. <laughs> um, even like totally agree with the concept of not using timeout to try to change behaviors, but we've also, we've used it a lot as a natural consequence, and then we have a conversation. Right, like if you use this word or if you treat a sibling this way, you're going to go sit, Emily's got four white chairs in the front room. You're going to sit on the, on the white chair for five minutes, <laughs> and you're going to debrief with yourself. Like You're going to sit there, you're going to be quiet, you're not going to talk to anyone. no one's going to talk to you. After five minutes, you're going to come back, and then we're going to have a conversation. Um, they understand that. It's not just time out, okay, now go on with your day afterwards. Can
1: I say one really thing before you say the next thing? Always. <laughs> um, I don't really ever call it time out, when our, especially with, with our kids and when they were young we had scriptures. So like if Olivia, uh, she was so emotional at three and she's been the most amazing teenager, but at three, her emotions were like out of control. And so when she would get emotional, we had scriptures that we had written out and she couldn't read yet. So I wrote it out in pictures about like, how um, Jesus is your peace and your peace passes all understanding and It guards my heart and my mind. And so like she would go sit on her bed and she would read her little scripture pictures. So it wasn't time out just for the sake of like, go be by yourself. It was time out with a purpose. Like you go sit on your bed, you look at your scripture cards, you ask the Holy Spirit to help you and you come back when you have a happy heart and you can talk to me without just screaming and being emotional. So it's like, I think time out with a purpose, like it's not just go be, bu- go be isolated. It's go be with the Lord. And that does set them up for success when they are, teenagers and you say I love you you need to go talk to the Lord for a minute and then come back and we can try this conversation again you know like it just trains them in that which there are times when we're having a conversation and it's like I need to go be with the Lord for a minute and then I'll come back and we'll try this conversation." it just sets you up for success in life okay go ahead
2: that's good and another thing I mean, I grew up in the South, so discipline was like always, all the time, belt comes off. Whatever. Like, that was my natural habitat. And one thing is I've tried to make changes over the years. One of the very, very first sermons I ever heard Pastor Josh preach, he just talked about when you interact with someone, you don't understand what they're doing or it's frustrating, you're upset. There's a five-word phrase, can you help me understand? And I've used that with my kids so many times. Um, I used it on Emily for a long time, and then she caught on that that was my phrase, to, my go to phrase. <laughs> um, but just all the time, like, because the way my 12 year old, pro- like, we are so alike, but we are also so different. And so when he does them, I don't understand, like, Wesley can you help me understand? Versus why are you being such an idiot? Like, no, you're not an idiot, but in the moment you're acting like one, right? Like that was always my go-to. Like, no, can you help me understand? Like, I don't get this. My brain does not work the way yours works. Can you help me understand? Um, Another thing that we found, I did not listen to the discipline chapters book, so he might say something different, but um, especially with my two boys, they understand that when I righteous anger or like actually get upset is because it matters. Um, I was a high school basketball coach for 14 15 years and I learned a lot from my basketball experience where like with my team I used to get if I just got upset and mad about every little mistake, there was nothing there was no weight to anything. Um I just became that that gong or that symbol that's always going off and it doesn't actually inspire change. And so like It's the same with all four kids, but I live it out with the boys definitely a lot more than the two girls. But they know there are three things. I I tell them we can talk through anything, we can work through anything, but there's three things that are non-negotiables. And number one is the way they talk, um, act, body language, respect their mom. If at any point in time, like Boyce last night, two nights ago, at bedtime was not respecting what Emily was saying, and so I didn't necessarily... Pray in that moment because I, we'd already set a standard for it. I just walked in and said nope you're done like the way you're treating your mom is not okay it's time for you to bed your mom does not need to deal with this right now she can deal with it tomorrow and he just knows like the way he deals with mom the second thing is how they treat act their siblings like that is not okay like that's going to get an immediate response we're not going to have a conversation about it like I might ask questions later but there's going to be an immediate piece of separation there and the third thing is lying like I can deal with anything you do just tell me what you did. Um, It's worse for you to lie to me about it than to try to placate it in the first place. And outside of that, you know dad's going to go through the process and talk about it, but like in our family, those are the three non-negotiables with dad. Um, And it's, it's interesting that they've gone away because they, now they know, oh, this is big. Oh, this is the reminder. Um, you know, some, it's like anytime we go speeding on the highway, you know, we need, if I'm going a little bit over, that cop might not pull me over, but I'm 15 over, getting pulled over is that reminder of the danger zone I'm living in. I might not cause an accident, something bad might not happen, but it could. And so I need those bright blue lights flashing behind me to wake me back up and get me to where I need to be.
1: So good. Yeah. And I think that's it for discipline. We're going to give you guys some time to discuss. The last thing I would echo is just what Becky said about connection. If you realize you're going to have to connect with this kid afterwards, you're not going to be as quick to yell, scream, absolutely fly off the handle. I remember the first time I thought like, oh, this is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in this person like (laughs) I didn't make this person. you know like this is somebody that i'm going to be held accountable for the way that i treat them just like i would treat like how i'm held accountable for the way i would treat a neighbor i would not yell scream berate be disrespectful you know, to any other person, why would I treat my kid that way? And it's just really easy. And I, like when, and the loving authority piece is so important. Like you have to be in charge. And when I walk into a room, when people say like, what's your talent? I'm like, mm, being in charge of kids. Like I walk in a room and I'm in charge. Like they know, they know that I'm in charge, but they also know that I love them. And I'm, they, it's not from yelling and screaming at them that they know that I'm in charge. When the kids were little, like 18 months, two, they would have to sit on their bed until they could tell me, I'm sorry, I love you, you're the boss. Like, that's what they had to say. I'm sorry, I love you, you're the boss. And I would say, I love you too, and I am the boss. And that was it. Like, they had to sit there until they would say, you're the boss. And like, boys, our nine-year-old, the third kid, you're not the boss. And i wait for you, like I can sit here all day, like I am the boss and you will let me know that I'm the boss and they know, they know that I'm the boss. So the loving authoritative piece for sure has to be there but that connection is just so important and treating our kids respectfully because they are a child of God, like it doesn't matter that they're three, you know? Um, and so anyway, I, and the connection piece, as they get older, that connection will be tested. So it's formed when they're young um, and then it's it gets tested when they're older. And so and ki- they, they crave it. And it doesn't matter if they act like they don't. They do. They do. They need it. And I'm hugging our teenagers constantly. And my 12-year-old's like, <laughs> and he like gives me this weird shoulder. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't care. I might feel awkward to you, but I'm still going to hug you for 20 seconds. I count to 20. Um, but, yeah, keeping that connection is just so, so, so important. Um, so, yeah.
0: I just want to go back um, really quickly. The, the Holy Spirit just kind of, like, unctioned this related to devotional. Um, if I feel like there's somebody in here that is just, like, really struggling with having devotional with their kids. Like, they really want it, but every time they try to do it, it's just, like, a hot mess. And um, I just want to encourage you, like, the Bible, when, when Jesus was sitting with his disciples and he said, let the children come to me, it's because, like, you, the children were not standing in line. Like, one by one, coming to Jesus, and he was laying his hand, and then that one. It's not like sitting on Santa's lap, like you see. Like, these kids were everywhere. They were all around him. They were out there. Like, so I, when, when we started doing Shabbat, I just had to understand that, like, this is not going to look like a perfect family holding hands sitting around a table. This, ha- like, you have, um, so uh, this is, like, just the word for somebody is, like, it's going to be messy, and they're not always going to participate, and they're going to fight you, and they're going to run away, and they're not going to like it, but don't stop doing it. Be consistent. And, um, and it doesn't have to be every day. Like, you do a family devotion. Like, start small and work yourself up. Because if you start really big, you're going to fail. And, and that's just the hard truth. Start really small, like one thing at a time. What Maybe it's one kid at a time. But if I can get just get one-on-one with one kid once a week, then maybe in the following week, I'll add the next kid. And then, the ne- you know, so just whatever it is for your family. So I just want to encourage somebody in that. So we're going to do, um, we just have... We have 13 minutes, because you guys got to pick up your kids by 8, since you're all parents in here. We all know you got kids. So um, we're if, I don't know how we want to do this. If uh, you, How about you guys decide? What if we, Do you all want to ask questions, or do we want to do this? What do you, what do you think? That's what yeah. so, do, would you guys rather ask questions, or would you rather answer these questions in groups? OK, what questions do you have?
1: So one thing that so that is what we used to do. Like you would just get screen time one at a time. Um, okay, so when they were little, they would have their thirty minutes of screen time together, and then they would just like rotate on who chose it. And then it since we my oldest has a phone, which is more recent development, and then now I have a computer, and so we only have one TV in the living room, but we have computers and iPads and whatever. Matt has an iPad. So they have other options now. So what we had trickled down into was they would each have 30 minutes of screen time. they each be in front of their own screen in their own space watching what they wanted. And so that is what changed after reading this book is we've just had no individual screen time. Like we can all agree on something and we can watch it together. Um, Like in the evening watch a 30 minute show together or, or we can watch sports. I don't really count sports. Again, that's probably my upbringing. Like we watch sports. To me it's like D- conversations happen while football's on. I don't know, um, but uh, no individual screen time. So they have to agree, and if they can't agree, they don't get their screen time for the day, which I'm perfectly fine with. Nothing. Yeah. Reading first. Oh, we always read first. That's true. They don't get to do any. They don't have any screen time it, even after the school day's over, which I designed the school day and it includes a ton of reading. But they still have to read before they c- they do thirty minutes of reading and then thirty minutes of screen time.
0: are the same way we have multiple devices so we let our kids oh my gosh don't feel like a bad parent one like and the and seriously Justin early is such a good like the way he makes you feel as a parent is like I don't know he just get he's just leaves so much room for grace and it goes back to like these there are exceptions to the rules but it's it comes back to just like there's so much grace from God and there's so much grace for us as parents that when, like, c- I mean, I royally mess up, like, every single day, even, like, in, as I'm sharing all these things with you, like, I don't always do it right. Um, but it's whenever you're consciously making the effort to do things in a godly way and um, walk that path, like, you're going to be blessed by it. And so you are not a bad parent.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we're, like, 36 hours ahead of the process because we just recently read the book. We like just like finished the book. Like, yeah. the, uh, the cars and the screen time, like, mm-hmm. that is. Yeah, um, And I'm failing at it miserably. But, like, it's it's okay. Like, they see we make mistakes and we apologize. Or, again, the younger ones don't have quite as much freedom to hold us accountable and talk about it. But the older two do for sure because um, we want them to have that, that just accessibility.
0: I mean, it's just being patient with them. I mean, my my four year old like he gets angry, and he, I have to like talk him off a ledge a lot. Like the fact that it like the story I told you like that, typically takes me a lot longer um, because he wants he's stubborn and he wants to be in control, and so it is just always having like I make it a point my voice sounds like this and um you can go sit i want you to sit on your bed so it's time in he's he's in a specific place but you can't come talk to me until your voice sounds like mine i say that all the time you can i i want to i'm not putting a time limit on how long you sit there i'm not putting a time limit on this but um whenever you're ready and your voice sounds like mine come and talk to me i'm gonna be in the kitchen and i'm ready to talk to you sometimes it's i'm ready and i'm like okay like, I don't make him sit out. Like, if he his voice sounds like mine and he's, like, if, if he's doing it, like, okay, let's sit and talk right now. Sometimes it's 15 minutes and he's throwing a fit on his bed. But as long as he's being safe, like, when he's ready, he'll come and talk to me. So maybe just, it's just being that consistent tone. And, like, I don't know. that That's really worked for me. It's like, um, your voice doesn't sound like mine, so I can't communicate with you right
1: now. Yeah. That's good. We always said go to your bed and when you can choose a happy heart, then come back and we'll talk, you know? So I think, and I think putting the ball in their court is actually helpful instead of saying like, I'm setting the timer and in 10 minutes, I'm gonna come back to you. Yeah. Like then they're taking the initiative to reconcile. And that I think is important. Um, another thing for all of our kids and my husband, I have gotten to the point where like, I just pray and speak scripture over them. Like, I just think praying over your kids like asking the Lord for a speci- specific scripture, maybe for self-control for that kid, and just speaking the word over them and praying over them. There's so much power in that. And we teach, 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 and focus so much on like, count to three and then da-da-da-da, and you can control their behavior with these tricks and these hacks. And like, no, there's no hack, there's no trick. Build a connection with your kid, disciple, be discipled yourself, disciple your kid, and then pray over him because you, c- you cannot control your kid. And I see parents of adults all the time who struggle with that. But I know that these are not my kids. These are the Lord's kids, and they belong to him. So at the end of the night, I sl- I do. I lay down, and I sleep amazing <laughs> because I know I've done my best. And in the end, they're the Lord's anyways. So I wake up every morning. I speak the word over them, I pray over them, and over Matt and over our, our whole family. And then I just leave it in the Lord's hands, you know?
2: And like, I was thinking about it with Wesley. He's our 12-year-old. boy when he was— four five six like i don't know emotional basket case wuss like all these different things i probably labeled him with as we were talking about him and i don't know if i heard a message it was similar something's book it was basically a liturg- liturgical phrase that we began to use as a family and i used it for when he was like so emotional like couldn't stop crying or couldn't stop whatever and it was i'm a mcleod i am tough I do not whine, I will find a way. And then it wasn't, he, at first it was like, I want him to be these things. Um, but then second thing, no, actually, I know I came was a Navy SEAL talking about how the things that they would say themselves when they were in situations they didn't want to be in. And they would have these phrases that they just, phrases of affirmation they would repeat over and over again, and how he took it into his family's life. So I was like, oh, great idea, let's steal that. Um, but at, then I realized as he was like crying or being emotional, he couldn't do that and say these words at the same time. So then it just became this, okay, buddy, you got to say it again, but this time you can't cry while you're saying it um and it just be he began to work through those things to work out i don't think it's the magic of the words but just saying something or having a conversation his brain had to focus on something different over just the emotions that he was vomiting all over the place